Welcome. This will be our third class in the book of Revelation. Specifically tonight, we'll be looking at Revelation chapter number 1, verses 9 through 20. And we're going to be looking at the first vision that God, that Christ gave to John, and that John is relating back to us as he was directed and instructed to do. Let's go ahead and start verse number 9. It says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom of in patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle of, that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we see the introduction here. John is introducing himself now to the readers. He's letting him know who he is and, and what was happening there. He's letting him know the uh, where he was at this particular time. Of course, that was on the island of Patmos. And he calls himself, or he says three different things about himself. First of all, he says that he is a brother and a companion. By brother and companion, what he's talking about is he's talking about uh, that he is a believer just like the believers in the church. This is an important distinction because the book of Revelation isn't written to the world. It's written specifically to the churches. So John is telling them, I am John. I'm your brother. I'm your companion. He also says that he is their companion in tribulation. By this, he is letting them know that this is the John that was persecuted with them. This is the John that was tortured before he was exiled to this island of Patmos. So he's introducing himself here so they understand who it is that who it is that is speaking to them at this time. And I find it interesting that at this time, John has been um, abused, he's been tortured, he's been misused, he's been exiled to this island of Patmos, and yet still he is um, worshiping God. Still he is, he is in the, the spirit at this point, we'll see that in a moment, but oftentimes when we are at our worst, um, when we feel like we're all alone, and John truly is all alone here. He's been exiled out. And we see throughout the Word of God that when, when the men of God are at what seems by the world's definition to be at their very, very worst, is actually oftentimes when God uses them in the greatest ways, or when God gives them a sign or a vision that they're able to use to move forward. We look back at the book of Genesis, and we see that it was in exile that Jacob saw God at Bethel. And in Exodus, it was when uh, Moses was exiled for over 40 years that he, he finally saw that burning bush and God speaking to him. It was in exile that Elijah heard that still small voice in 1 Kings chapter 19. It was in exile that Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord by the river Cheder in Ezekiel 1.3. And it was in exile that Daniel saw the Ancient of Days. And we're going to get back to that that phrase, Ancient of Days, in a moment because that's kind of important to our study this morning or this evening. And so I want to look at that, um, that ancient of days statement. Then John says that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So we know that it was on, it was on Sunday. It was his day of worship. He's worshiping. And then it tells us that he's in the spirit. Um, this means that he was for lack of a better, for lack of a better term, John was in a, in a trance or in a, a state of, um, that uh, God was able to give him, these visions mentally. In verse number 10, it says um, that he says, I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. So as he's there and as he's worshiping, as, as he's put into this trance, he, he hears this, this great voice that sounds like a trumpet, how he describes it. We, we would interpret that to mean that there was authority and a loudness to this voice. Uh, it was probably a startling sound at first until he realized who it was. And that voice starts out by saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. This is in verse number 11 of Revelation chapter 1. What thou seest write in the book and send it to the seven churches. So he gets his commands here. First of all, 
Jesus tells them that, that he is the Alpha and the Omega. This is a phrase that's used several times to de declare the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is the very, very first. There is nothing that came before him. He is the very, very last. There is nothing beyond him. He is all-encompassing. There is nothing else other than him. And then he instructs John to write. Notice that he wasn't giving John a message for himself. This wasn't a private vision or a or a private um, uh, revelation. This was something that John was to take and share specifically with the churches. This is why it's important for us today as churches to, to uh, study the book of Revelation and to preach the book of Revelation. Many churches hesitate because of, there's so much symbolism and there's so many different opinions. Many churches hesitate to, to teach the, the book of Revelation, but it's important that we teach it because it was a revelation that was given specifically to us, specifically to the church. Let's look at verse number 12. John says, in verse number 12, he says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks was one unto the, the, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot. And gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. So we see this this image that John has given here. Uh, first thing we see is that we see that Jesus Christ is that light. He's standing in the midst of the of these candlesticks. And we, we know these candlesticks to be the churches that'll be explained here in a little bit but the important part of this is we see that Jesus Christ is in the midst of them it's a symbol that shows that these candlesticks don't get their light from themselves they get their light from Jesus Christ uh, Christ is to be in the midst of every church that means the message of Christ is to be the very focus of the church now at the time that, that I'm recording this we're right in the middle of a, a lot of turmoil in our country there's a lot of uh, rioting going on there's a lot of protesting going on and, and I've, when I turn on the news, I see a number of people who have the title of pastor or reverend, and they're speaking. And the problem with their message is, though, is they're not, their message isn't Jesus Christ. Their message isn't the Word of God. Their message is social reform, or their message is new laws that need to be passed. And I have no problem with social reform. I have new, new, uh, no problem with new laws, as long as they're, they're good, common-sense laws and not emotional reactions to a, a situation. But that's not the message of the church. The message of the church and the message of the ministers should be that message of Jesus Christ. Everything we do needs to be focused around Jesus Christ because that is where our light comes from. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We need to understand as Christians and as, as the church that that our job is to share Jesus Christ with the world. That is our true light, the true light that he shines inside of us. Then we see that vision, um, the, the vision that John sees of Christ himself is so uh, intense and so amazing that, that he doesn't have the words to explain it, but he uses the very, very best that he can in his language to describe what it is that he's seeing. It says, first of all, he was clothed with, with a robe down to his feet. This is in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13. This, is, this would be a robe similar to that that's worn by prophets or by priests uh, or kings or princes. And of course, this is symbolic of him being our high priest, the one that is the intercessor between us and God. His chest 
uh, has a, a golden uh, breastplate upon it. And uh, this would be similar again to the breastplate that was that was worn by the high priest in the Old Testament. It's a a uh, breastplate that would have the 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 names of the people and the the jewels representing each of the ten tribes of or I'm sorry twelve tribes of Israel upon it. So it shows how close um, the people the church is to Jesus Christ. He carries it right on his breastplate. And then we see his head and his hair. Uh, it says his hair was white, uh, white like wool, white like snow. Um, this is the, the picture of that, that Christ of the ancient days. It's not the, the typical image that we get of Jesus Christ. Normally we get that image of Jesus Christ. We, we envision that crucified Jesus or that earthly minister of Jesus, which would be a younger man in his 30s or something. But this is a picture of an older man, the ancient of days, as Daniel said in Daniel 7, 9. He says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit, whose garments, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. So we see Jesus not as that that earthly savior at this point, but as the the um, the Lord and the, the God of the entire universe, that ancient of days, as, as Daniel described him. And then it said he had eyes that were as a flame in Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. This, of course, symbolizes the, the piercing, penetrating power that he has, his all-knowingness, his all-seeingness. Uh, he sees everywhere. He sees in the dark places. He sees behind closed doors. His, he sees the very, very innermost of the heart. He knows things about us and about people, the people around us that, that we can only imagine, but he sees these things. And then it says his feet, they were like um, brass or bronze. Uh, this symbolizes the strength and perseverance um, that are in his feet, um, the feet that preach the gospel, the, the glad tidings of, of peace. It's also symbolic of the, the bronze altars in the Old Testament where the sacrifices were made. It, it's a picture that not only does... Jesus Christ have the um, the ability, but he is the great judge, uh, that all sacrifice comes through him. And this, that all um, these are also the feet that would rush to rescue his people. Then it says he had a voice that was the sound of many waters rushing together. Um, this is an interesting term that, that has confused a lot of people, but simply it just means that it's kind of overwhelming. Um, I remember once we did a wedding at a beach, and it sounded like a great idea at the time, but as we're doing the the wedding, the, the waves are crashing in, and we were far enough away from the waves where they didn't impact us with, with the water, but the um, the sound of the waves, which you don't normally um, think of as being deafening, made it very, very difficult for anybody other than the bride and groom themselves to be able to hear uh, what I was preaching and what I was speaking from the Bible. Uh, the, the rest of the guests who were only 10, 15 feet away could hear hardly anything other than the waves. That sound was overwhelming. And then this isn't just the sound of, a, of one water. This is the sound of many waters. So it has a picture there of the overwhelming knowledge and instruction of Jesus Christ. And I find, I find this interesting because when normally when we think of the instruction coming from Jesus Christ or the the word of Christ, we see it in simplest terms. He's put it down into a book for us. or And, and so we're able to, to 
have his word, this overwhelming word, this, this word that sounds as, the, as many waters, uh, that is uh, almost impossible for us to understand or interpret as it was for John here. That's the only way he could describe it. And yet God has given, to, given it to us in a written book that we're able to sit down and, and slowly and methodically study and learn from. Then it said Jesus Christ held the, the seven stars um, in his right hand. In verse number 16, it says, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. So he has those seven stars in his right hand, and we're going to look at those seven stars in just a moment. Um, when we get to the end, he kind of explains a little bit uh, about what those seven stars are, but but just for the for the sake of our study right now, I'll, I'll let you know those seven stars he's talking about are the ministers to those seven churches. They're also going to be called angels later on. So the, the that term um, angel or that term star it implies a messenger, not a not a heavenly host type of angel, uh, but a a uh, earthly messenger. That word um, angel is is almost always used to mean messenger. We we confuse that because normally when we hear about the angel of God or that message coming from God, it is coming from a heavenly host type of angel. Uh, but the, the heavenly host, that's not an exclusive word just for heavenly beings. It also means those that carry the gospel here on the earth. And in this case, the seven stars or the seven angels are the seven pastors to those seven churches that we're going to see in a moment. It said he had a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. This is uh, symbolic of the, the word of God and its penetrating power. And then it said he has the countenance that was like the sun, um, like the sun would be when, it full, when it's at full strength. You know, I live and grew up in Florida, so I, I know when you go outside on a hot summer's day how the, the sun will, will hit you and it, it, you, you feel its warmth penetrating into your body. Um, but you can't look at the sun. If you try and even glance up at the sun, it's too much. It's too overwhelming. And, and that's what how John is describing this. It's like when he's looking at him, it's like he's looking into the sun. This is very similar to the, the picture that we get of Jesus back in the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 2, where it says, And he was transfigured before men, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Verse number 17, uh, John says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. So when John saw him, he was overwhelmed by the image uh, of his Jesus, and he fell down in fear. And you notice the first thing that Jesus Christ does is he places his hand on him and he tells him he says fear not in other words you know, don't be afraid he was declaring you know to john you know I, i'm the same jesus that walked with you on the earth i'm the same jesus that died for you um he wasn't appearing to john at this point to condemn john he was appearing to give him a commission he was appearing to give him a a uh, message of edification to to take back to the churches to, to help the churches to get better and stronger uh for him then he declares again that, that declaration of deity where he says, I am the first and the last. Um, again, there's nothing before him. There's nothing after him. He says, I am he that live, lives and was dead. and be, Behold, I am alive 
So he, he, he is that, that Jesus that was crucified. Uh, he doesn't need to be, be afraid. He is the same Jesus that walked with John. And so this had to have given great comfort to John. And then he tells him, he says, I have the keys of, of, of hell and death. And symbolizing that he is the savior of the world. He is the one that has uh, power over death. This is why Christians, one of the many reasons why Christians don't need to fear death is because it's all controlled by Jesus Christ. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to worry about death. He has the keys of hell and death in his hand. Verse number 19, he says, Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So we see the command from Jesus to John. His command has three parts, and, and these three parts are to the things that he had seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So he's giving it to him, and he's kind of breaking down this revelation, the book of Revelation, as we would call it, into three different parts. He, he sees, the first of all, the things he had seen. These are the vision of the glorified Christ. This is what we've already seen so far. This is what John has already pictured in, in chapters 1 and getting ready to go into chapters number 2. And then the things which are, which is the state and condition of the churches, which again is, is chapter number two and, and chapter number three. And then the, the things which shall, shall be hereafter, that's the rest of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter four through 22 gives us the, the things that have not come to be yet. Um, as we live in this day and age, of course, we've seen many of the things that were prophecy to John to be fulfilled in our lifetime and before us. And we're still seeing things unfold before us every single day. And then verse number 20, he says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven can golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So he gives us the, the kind of an explanation of, of that portion of the vision so that we would better understand it. And he's telling us the candlesticks are the churches, and those, those stars... Those are the uh, the angels of those seven churches. Again, those are the ministers of those seven churches. So he's laying this groundwork for John, and John is sharing it with us, letting us know this is what's about to happen. I'm about to give you a revelation. I'm about to give you some instruction, and I want you to take this, and I want you to give it to the church. And as the church, it's our job not just to, to study it, but to, to give comfort to other Christians with this word. Uh, to help the world to understand, even though this wasn't directly written for the world, but to help the world to understand that there is a time coming. There is a time coming when Jesus Christ will return for us. There is a time that will, uh, after Christ takes his church home, that there will be a time of tribulation like the world has never seen before. We're seeing a ramping up to that today, I believe, through the through the uh, um, division of, our, of the people of the world, through through the turmoils caused by hurricanes and earthquakes and volcanoes. We're seeing things um, through the pandemics and, and, and other tragedies striking this world like we've never seen. With the frequency, the increased frequency and the increased intensity of it, uh, we haven't experienced anything like this. And I believe this is a ramping up process. And it's one of the reasons why I think God led me to do this study is to help people to better understand the things that are to come. But we take great comfort as Christians knowing that before the tribulation starts, that God will come and take his, his people home with them. And I pray that you're part of that. I pray that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you haven't, I pray that you'll do that today. Um, God tells us that there's none righteous. There's none of us that deserve him. There's none of us that deserve heaven. But we can be righteous through him. In uh, John chapter 1, he tells us that, that he gave us the power to become the sons of God. 
when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he gave us the power to be able to be adopted into the family of God, to become the children of God. The Bible tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we just pray, and I pray today, that, that if you're listening to this and you've never done that, that you will accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today. He's made it very, very simple for you because he's already done all the heavy lifting. He's already paid the price on Calvary. All it takes for you today is for you to repent, for you to repent and turn to him. And I pray that you'll do that today. If you have any questions, you can email me or you can message me. Uh, if you're listening to this on the on the Anchor app, there's a place on there for messages. And you can message me that way. Or you can contact me through the church or, or through Facebook. Um, and I'd love to discuss any questions that you have. And, and maybe we'll incorporate those into our study a little bit. Uh, my website is my name, uh, www.jjay.com. McKeg, M-C-C-A-I-G dot com. It's all one word. And uh, you can leave messages there. You can contact me through that as well. 